John, as um, general manager of Dropship Zone, how does it feel to have been scammed over the recent week? Oh, I don't want that out there, Chloe. <laughs> Look, it was a ticketing website. It was masquerading as the official ticketing website for Phantom of the Opera, and I fell for it. Anyway, I've got, it was resolved. I got refunded. It's all good. Gen Z is laughing at you. All right, get on with the podcast. G'day, and this is the Recommended Retail Podcast, the RRP that talks all things retail. I'll be your host, John Barkle, from Dropship Zone, Australia's leading B2B marketplace. In this episode, we're joined by Nick Grimberg, Head of Strategy at Nextinco. With over nine years of experience in the Aussie digital marketing industry, Nick gives us a beginner's guide to SEO and the role it plays in helping build your business. But first, I wanted to share an exciting update on Dropship Zone. After more than 10 years of helping thousands of SME retailers scale their online business through dropshipping, Dropship Zone has officially transitioned to become a fully-fledged end-to-end B2B marketplace. It's the first of its kind here in Australia, and suppliers can now offer their products to retailers to be dropshipped. I couldn't be prouder of the team that worked on this project. To make the transition in just five months takes dedication, tenacity, and raw talent. Right, now onto the fun stuff, talking SEO with Nick Grimberg. G'day, Nick. Thanks for joining us. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Episode number three. Yes, three. Uh, can you believe this thing's still going? <laughs> nice. I was thinking more so I could come back to this and say I was number three on the uh, RRP podcast. What an honour. <laughs> to get started, what, why don't you tell us about yourself, how you got here today? Well, it's a broad question. I love it. So, look, I started in digital in sort of like I'd say 2006 when I was studying as a dietitian in university and I figured out that I really, really don't like hospitals, which is where a dietitian spends most of their time. So inevitably I just started looking for something else to give meaning to my life. And I just, I was dabbling. I was just doing it all. I was selling shit on eBay. I was doing affiliate marketing. I was trying to do like a little bit of SEO consulting and just like falling in love with the vast opportunity of the space. Then I suppose I went to work for an agency, which it was where I met my counterpart, John, who I wonder why you didn't ask him to do the podcast. <laughs> oh, look, we can get John back another time, but I didn't, I, I have a rule where I'm not going to interview someone with the same name. Fair, fair. I like that. So John and I met an agency. We had that like, like classic thought of we worked there for two years. We thought, hey, we can do this better. And honestly, the only thing we set out to do at the time, this was 2010, was um, Google Maps optimization. That was all we did. We, we got paid to list optimized businesses and get them ranked on local searches in Google Maps. We never really intended to become a full-service agency that we did. And congratulations on that. That's thank fairly you. hot news. Thank you, thank you. Yes, it's been hitting the ad rags recently. But, um, yeah, and we just sort of grew from there, I guess. And But, SEO, look, even though we're our full-service, SEO has always been, I suppose, our passion. It's, it's just it's such an interesting space. You know, I approach it very much more from the – the I guess the human behavioral space of search and how a search evolved and now there's many other search engines not just Google like you've got search in Amazon search in Woolworths and and Coles online internal sites it's just it's really cool so it's a space that I love to talk about I come from an SEM background and I think I always look I always looked upon people that work in SEO as very patient people 
<laughs> Would you describe yourself as a patient person? Uh, no, absolutely not. You, ha- But yes, you're right. You have to be. You have to, in a sense of patience, you have to look at things more from a macro perspective. You know, sometimes, you know, when, 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 a, when there's a Google update and everyone sort of shits themselves, you don't want to, you don't want to be reactive. Like if you've got a good strategy in place, you know, you're not, you know, doing anything naughty in Google's sort of by Google's guidelines. Sometimes you just have to stick to it knowing that, you know, what you're doing is right. So I guess you're right. In that sense, patience is very important. Where did the name come from, Next Enco? Yeah, good question. I mean, I, I suppose it's like the core ethos behind the name is the agency's commitment to continuous improvement. It's just like from, I guess, both of John and I, we hold like that personal value of continuous improvement rather dear. So the entire agency, whether it's, you know, all our staff have got, you know, dedicated learning and development plans or, you know, the way we manage and optimize campaigns is always aimed to facilitate continuous improvement. Even our, even we sort of tend to measure our impact on the industry. The Next & Co comes from that. We just tried to make it fashion, you know, sexy agency name. <laughs> like if the truth. It's all about the brand. Yeah, yeah. And um, so in that, in that long time that you've been working with Next & Co and John and the team, what are some of the biggest challenges or some of the biggest projects you've worked on thus far? Wow. One of the biggest, I suppose one of the biggest challenges is sort of in 2010 when the agency started, like digital and especially search was like still a little bit of an, I wouldn't say an ugly duckling, but it wasn't the proven contender. Like being a business in 2010, having, you know, I was, I think I was 24. I want to say 23, 24, I had no contacts. So I was doing cold calls. And the, and the conversation I would have, is, you know, is, oh, hey, do you want to be in Google? It's like, no, I think we'd rather be in the yellow pages. The what? Yeah, right? Oh, he doesn't know what that is. <laughs> yes. It, it, it's, it, was, it, was, it was bizarre. And then so, you know, at first back then it was about convincing people, hey, search is a good thing. You want to, you want to have a search strategy. You want to be found in search engines. And it's just evolved all the way now to being this hyper-competitive, hyper-relevant environment where everyone wants to play. And it's not a case of, hey, convincing a brand, should you be in search? It's more about what's the best way to go about it? What's, you know, like agency one strategy versus agency two strategy? Is it about links? Is it about content? Is it about, you know, UX experience? What is it about, right? So I guess managing that has been really, really interesting. Albeit like that's, I've condensed 12 years of evolution in, in that question. And, you know, throughout that journey, we've we've been really, really fortunate so that to work on some really great stuff, like everything from when the NBA, the National Basketball League changed hands in the mid-2000s, we got to work on their, like, through-the-line search strategy. We got to do, like, stuff like bringing Harley-Davidson into the e- to, into the e-commerce roadmap in Australia. We launched their eBay store. So, you know, we're doing, like, search and eBay in the early days. And so I suppose what that has sort of given us the opportunity is to see real-life examples of, what happens, you know, how, how search strategy has changed and how people respond to search and, and what search means to consumers. So I hope that answers your question. No, that's great. And uh, But, look, I hope we don't lose some of our audience as a result because we, as marketers we use abbreviations, we use jargon, you know. So let's boil it right down. What is the difference between SEM and SEO? Yeah, great, great clarification. So 
both refer to, I suppose, search engines, but the and they're both sort of umbrella terms. But SEM, which stands for search engine marketing, tends to refer more to the paid ads side of a search engine or an advertiser paying for the privilege of having real estate on a given keyword. SEO is called uh, stands for search engine optimization, and that refers more to the organic side of Google or the sorry, or the sort of a search engine, should I say, or in which a search engine just puts you there because you are the best answer to the question that the user has searched for. That makes a lot of sense. So that basically in terms of that, the difference is, is, is one is paid and one is not, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then I suppose timing as well. So one is instant and one is not so instant. Yeah, 100%. And in that, I suppose gives you there's a, like a strategic delineation between the two because both are like they're different right you know if you have a really high short-term need for traffic or for sales or for something SEM's great because you know I could have you know an ad up uh, for you guys for example in you know a couple of hours and you could be you know sending traffic to your site so it's like a you know, really nimble it's like a little speedboat whereas SEO is like you know, that takes intent, that takes long-term planning. It's like your big, you know, giant frigate that's just, you know, you've got to be really intentional to to get where you're going with, you know, the content strategy, the links, et cetera. But businesses can get hooked on the SEM. We used to call it the Google drug. Very valid. It's that dollar in, dollar out mentality, which I'll say even if we look at broader paid media and we look at the power of brand, that dollar in, dollar out assessment, which, you know, all all CMOs love that, hey, I spent a dollar, I made $2, you know, from that one single channel. That's become harder and harder to do as, as customer journeys become more fragmented, omni-channel, et cetera. But you're 100% right. Sometimes, you know, SEO and it's the six to 12 month time frame of investment, sometimes even longer for more competitive categories is a hard pill to swallow. However, you know, I was uh, doing a talk about this at um, iMedia Brand Summit. Just this year alone, the average click inside Google for like aggregate, are 22% more expensive than it was the year before. So whilst SEO is not your immediate, you know, drug, <laughs> You've got to claim your real estate now because the costs of that media is going up and up and up. Even media is not immune to the inflation that no, we're experiencing course, yeah. at the moment. Yeah, absolutely. So that sounds like to me that SEO is an important investment, but it just takes a lot longer to see that return. So for you, what, what would be your summary there? Why is SEO important to a business and why is it important to get started on it? Yeah, well, so many reasons. But I think... The fundamental answer to that question is that, you know, SEO is, you want to be there when your customers are looking for you, whether they're asking a question at the very start of their journey, you know, what is the best three-seater couch for under $5,000, or whether they're at the end of their customer journey, you know, Googling a particular brand of couch and, and the best price. That is, that is at that point in time, what that customer wants. In marketing, that's a very, very powerful moment that you want to own. And search goes through the line, through the entire customer journey, all the way from, you know, re, like education where, hey, I didn't know that that was an option 
through to research, through to consideration, and then ultimately down to purchase and even beyond. So I think that they these are key customer moments that brands want to own. And now we might be getting a little bit technical, but what are the things that Google, let's use Google because they are the biggest search sure. engine and that's where everyone would start their, their SEO journey, but what are the things that Google takes into consideration or triage is the most in terms of importance when deciding how to rank a website? Yeah, great. And, and look, I'll, I'll, I'll caveat this by saying I come at this from an answer from a strategist perspective. So, you know, there, there's a lot more technical ways to answer this question. But broadly speaking... I'll, we'll get John on for that one. Yeah, 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 absolutely. He can, uh, he can nerd out all day. Broadly speaking, I think first there's, I suppose, what, you know, what, how, what is your site and its content, right? Like if a Google spider comes to your site, what does it see? And that's everything from the, the how fast your site is, your metadata and schema markup, how your pages and information architecture is structured. That's essentially a map. It's 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 a map to Google. Say, this is what I'm about. This is what I'd like to be, you know, known for. And you know, and that's mapped to individual pages. So that that's probably the first bucket. And that also I'd factor in things like website experience into that. The second bit is authority. If you and 20 other competitors are saying that you're an authority in, I don't know, office furniture, how does Google differentiate and decide which office furniture page to rank or brand to rank? And that's where things like your domain authority come in, things like how many backlinks does a domain have, what are the quality and quantity of those backlinks, just to define maybe what a backlink is when you're getting a, a mention on another site that's relevant to your industry. So in that office furniture example, it might be a site talking, a blog about office furniture, linking from them back to you. And they're seen as votes to Google or any search engine for that matter. What do you say to those SEO specialists that say that backlinking doesn't form any part of their strategy? I'd say it's a very brave strategy. I, look, I'm I'm never going to unequivocally say that every time you need to do this one thing. It's just that would be very foolish of me. But I would say that if you're maybe heading up SEO for an extremely established brand or something like, you know, even like Wikipedia. Wikipedia is just, you don't need a backlinking strategy for, say, Wikipedia because it it backlinks onto itself and it gets so effortlessly, I suppose, referenced all over the web that if I was the head of SEO for Wikipedia, I might say, okay, great. Well, let's just make sure our content's really good. Let's make sure it's accurate. Let's make sure our publishers are looked after. And that would be our SEO strategy. We actually had a good example where we worked with uh, Miranda Kerr's brand, Cora, and the entire backlinking strategy for that was piggybacking off of their PR. So we would just, you know, basically sneak in a paragraph at the end of every press release and generate, you know, really effective links. So, you know, we didn't, wouldn't have to have, say, a, like a, a huge budget for backlinking because in that particular case, it was achieved through the PR. But I'll tell you, you know, coming back to like if you're not an established brand, backlinking is what establishes your reputation, what make, makes the Google algo pay attention to your content. And you want that because you could have excellent content, no reputation, and, and it won't index. It won't doesn't, it doesn't know you from Adam, so to speak. And these backlinks, you would need some kind of a budget for that? Yeah, ab- absolutely. So, like, you know, unless there's sort of a 
I mean, you can have an organic backlinking strategy. You might have a really big content team in-house and you might say, just distribute that content and syndicate it throughout the, the web. And that might be your backlinks. But generally speaking, one way or another, you're paying for it, you know, whether it's, you know, through a, an agency like ours where we would go out and proactively build those backlinks for you, or whether say, you know, through say like a content team that produces content so that they that content gets picked up and backlinked. You mentioned content a fair bit. We often hear that content is king. How much weight do you put into content against, say, other factors? A lot. I mean, again, it, it always depends on where you're at, right? Like, for example, if you're a, like, let's say you're um, speaking in e-commerce, as this is an e-commerce podcast, right now, if you're like, say, Bunnings, right, you're, you are an authority. Like, let's say you're an established authority in that, you know, that trade, that hardware space. R- right now, content is, they did the, I think, the DIY. Oh, they got a marvelous uh, content strategy. Unbelievable. And when they implemented that at that time, that was the right thing to do because you're already an authority. You're not going to, you know, your content's being indexed. But now, whether I'm searching for how to paint a wall or how to sand a deck, I'm getting Bunnings content, which is, cap- as I mentioned, it's capturing that earlier part of the journey. They're not getting me when I'm looking for, for Cabot's oil deck, decking oil, sorry. They're getting me when I'm just learning or wanting to be taught and then mapping me to the product. See, brilliant. And in, in that case, it, the, that was the right thing to do. So, you know, to answer your question, content is, and the more content you produce, the more keywords you can rank for, and then more of that customer journey moments you can own. I feel like for the, the taking Bunnings as an example there, Bunnings write their content to be helpful for a task or for a human in terms of what they might be doing as a project or something they're doing at home. Mm-hmm. So for me, it doesn't feel like it's written for the purposes of ranking for keywords. It's written for to, to g- genuinely help me as a customer. Absolutely. And it's a really interesting point you raise because, you know, so many times we get asked, oh, okay, cool. Yep. We've got a, you know, content strategy. What's the ratio of, if we're trying to rank for this keyword on this page, what's the keyword density ratio? Or should we have the, the keyword like, you know, X amount of times in the header paragraph? Whereas that is probably like 2010 to 2014 rules. The good thing is now is if you write useful content to the user, but that's labeled well, you know, like, you you know, the, the, the Bunnings examples, you know, they've got really clear headline categories and subcategories in there and their videos have got, you know, well tagged. So, you know, st- still things need to be very labeled well, but you don't have to write the content in such a, I guess, a prescriptive way so that Google will find it. That makes a lot of sense. That makes absolutely sense. What are they called, those algorithms? Penguin? Penguin, panda, yeah, Penguin, all the panda. all the crazy zoo animals are in there, fucking up our day. <laughs> <laughs> and as an entrepreneur yourself, what do you think is the biggest benefit that SEO has to offer a business? Customers, awareness. It's 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 another channel essentially. It's another channel, and and it's a channel that you can choose how you play in the channel. If you're a brand that really values education, for example. You know, we worked with like a, a tier two lender that was really passionate about educating potential homeowners and, and investors around, you know, the ins and outs of borrowing. And and what's, what they did was they actually committed, funny enough, similar resource to Bunnings, a big top of funnel kind of content play to be like, all right, whether you're, whatever you're Googling that's early on in that journey, we want to be there. 
because that's part of our brand. And that was an intentional choice for them to do that. And whereas other brands might just be like, look, we just want to be there when our product is searched. You know, we sell this and we just want to be there for every commercial variation of those keywords. So I think that choice and that like that ability for a brand to go, here's our customer, here's when we want to speak to them, here's what they're looking for, and then we can curate the perfect content to get to them in that moment. I think that's really sexy. I think businesses leave SEO to the back of the mind like it's a second thought. Mm -hmm. They don't have a solid SEO strategy. They don't see it as sexy. Why do do you think that is? I mean, the one thing that, you know, that I've seen since 2010 is just how, like, the quotient of trust in SEO agencies is extremely low. I I totally agree with that. And I, I would say that in dollars invested in SEO, a lot of the time, even for large brands, you know, the brand, the big professional RFP gets wasted. Which, by the way, comes back to your whole drug question. You know, the, the yes, that's why they're hooked on SEM because they know if they spend, you know, 10000 they get something for it. Whereas SEO sometimes is like, well, what did you do for my 10000 It's a bit like why we're never, ever going to get rid of last-click attribution as, as, a, yes. as marketers. Absolutely. That's a whole other topic there. <laughs> Love it. We can go into that one too. But so I think, so straight off the cover, even before we talk about sexiness, it's, it's burnt a lot of people, right? And that sucks. It makes it really hard for, you know, agencies like us that that really kind of, I suppose, you know, have a passion and, and almost like this, we want to protect the space and do good work. It makes it harder for us. But and, and what I think is that the other bit, as I suppose, is sometimes it's harder to invest in something that's more long term, that's more good for your brand. With within marketers, their KPIs, the way that they're, I suppose, their performance are managed, it's, it's sometimes very short term. You know, we need X more market share by this date and there's a bonus attached to it for you. Cool. As a brand side marketer, I'm, I'm going to play to that. You've given me a directive and I'm going to play to that. Whereas, you know, SEO might be like, hey, we're really wanting to own this category. We're going to become the Wikipedia of retail, home loans, basketball, whatever it is in three to five years. Maybe that's sexy. Maybe we should sell it like that. But, you know, that that's a harder thing. That's like, you know, imagine you're, you know, you, you selling that in a, to the C-suite that that's versus like, hey, I want that same money for SEM or social ads or whatever. As an SEM marketer, it is very easy to sell. Well, for every dollar you put in, I can get $10 back out, the return on ad spend. Yeah. And that's right. Do you think that causes that you get that there's only so much ram in the in the marketing team or the c-suite where they they see they've got a choice almost between sem and seo and they always go to sem because it just it's that transactional hit every yep. time yep you know again I don't generalize too much but through my observation i definitely see that but it's also the same thing like okay would i invest in tvc or would i invest in display, for example, even the digital channel, YouTube ads, that's seen as that higher of funnel. You know, you, you might not see those last click sales from YouTube ads, but like, and we've done a lot of attribution modeling around connected customer journeys yeah. and, you know, great video creative, great creative that's, that speaks throughout their customer journey can help search be more effective, right? Everyone wants to own the point of commercial decision. I am ready to buy. But if brand one has been spending time building that preference, 
educating you, talking to you, surprising, delighting you in various parts of the customer touchpoint, who's going to win that bottom of funnel battle? And so that's a conversation that we're really trying to have now that it's it's not just about SEO or just about SEM or just about, it's this, let's look at your customer, let's look at their behavior, let's look at where your brand is strong, where your brand is weak, where where can we compete? What are what are the levers we can pull? That's you, you raised some good points there, and it's made me think. Of it. Do, you, do you know what the second most trafficked search engine is in Australia? YouTube, yes, YouTube. Yes. Does an SEO strategy, does your typical SEO strategy, inv- include YouTube in in your thinking? In our thinking, yes. In a typical SEO strategy, probably not. The the other thing is is you know I, I think we've had this conversation about content atomization before where you know, you can take a video, break it down to an audio file, break, transcribe the audio into an article and break down that article into social snippets. So you've got all this crazy amount of mileage from one piece of content being made. So, you know, we all know how expensive content creation is. So I think, yes, like it should absolutely be considered, but it's not as widespread as one would think. Yeah. It's harder to capture intent with YouTube, but of course, people do use it for search. Yeah, at, when they're researching a mm-hmm. purchase, for example, mm-hmm. and we know that Australians spend more than twenty-four hours a month using it, so yeah. it is a, it is a rising beast in that. Absolutely, and you know what's crazy as well is that the trend now for video content, and again, I am generalizing, but you know, you'll see a lot of data around this now and over the next couple of years, is that user-generated content is really on the rise. It's 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 amazing ad creative, you know, ad creative that converts what we're seeing a lot of user generated content style videos that are converting. So the point is is that you don't need really amazingly expensive TVC to get onto YouTube. You could just like I stick an iPhone in front of your own face and just talk about stuff. Well, this is right? where TikToks become so Exactly. Raw, authentic, believable. You know, that that's kind of like people want that authentic experience with a brand. Pulling it back to the e-commerce vertical, I think as an SEO strategist, there's probably nowhere more richer in UGC than than uh, Ausbargain, just a forum website. Yeah, absolutely, because that's kind of the, what is it, the unfiltered discussion you know, I know like, you know, my mates are all over it. Like I think I think when we were a couple of years ago, we were hunting for PS5s and, you know, Oz Bargain was a massive source of truth for us. As an e-commerce retailer, put things on it at your peril. You better <laughs> make sure you have a good deal. You will get downvoted for even the smallest infractions. It's like Lord of the Flies on there. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And there are brands that have just grown themselves yeah off the back of, 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 of UGC. And, you know, again, it's, it's, it's authentic. It's great. It's great for search to a degree when some of this, especially like with, if you're getting the UGC from actual influencers, links from sort of socially led websites and profiles is good in e-commerce, right? Like without getting too technical, if you're a law firm versus, you know, uh, I don't know, like a e-commerce site, you're, the type of links you need are totally different. You know, a lot of links from a lot of people kind of showing buzz and excitement about your product is really great for SEO, for e-com. Whereas say for a law firm, that's probably not relevant. You might want fewer like .gov or .edu links, higher authority. Higher authority, yeah. That, that speaks to the right reputation. But yeah, no, ab- absolute... Um, really like video SEO is is 
is is a critical part of, of that e-commerce strategy. Can we talk about um, Prometheus for a second? Yeah, sure. So do you want to talk about Prometheus, what it, what it is? It was featured in the Australian Financial Review as your in-house tool. Mm-hmm. But I'd love you to tell us a bit more about what it is, what it does, and how you're helping the industry. Oh, that's very kind words. Helping the industry. Well, like it'd be weird if I said and how you're destroying the industry. I <laughs> <laughs> uh, love it. So Prometheus was built off the back of work that we would do manually uh, at Next & Co. And it's got a few sides to it. So I'll try to give you a very quick summary. But it's got the three main aspects of Prometheus. Are, number one is it's a digital media wastage tool. So it plugs into, uh, you know, Google Analytics ad platforms such as Google Ads, Facebook, Snapchat, Twitter, et cetera, and it calculates the percentage of spend that is effective versus the percentage of spend versus not effective. And what is, you know, the way that effective or not effective is defined could be customized for each client. The second thing it does is finds a brand's most valuable customers. So we can look at all of a, all of the conversions coming across any date period for any type of conversion. So an e-com might be a sale or a newsletter subscription or whatever, and say that your most effective micro audiences are females on a mobile on a weekend that are interested in cooking, which allows you to get really, really granular with ad targeting. It's actually one of the reasons we got into traditional media, as we discussed. It was a space that we probably like didn't really ever foresee us playing in, but a couple of brands that we worked with were seeing the output of Prometheus, seeing like, oh, wow, like, so you're telling me if I buy spots in regional Victoria, in shopping centers, that's going to encourage sale? Yes, you know, because it was that digital data that applied to a you know, traditional media buy. And the third part of Prometheus, which is probably the most boring, but uh, the most relevant to this conversation is it's a backlink analysis tool. So one of the things that I suppose make us effective as an agency is that we know and can really document why a website is ranked where it's ranked. So Prometheus helps us for any given keyword, look at the top three to five ranked sites and identify exactly where their links are coming from, how many links they have, what type of domains they are, how old those links are, and build a really complete link profile so that, you know, we can then assess the gap. If we're working on a client in that niche, we can assess that gap and make sure that we're purposefully building links, not just, oh, these guys are just getting a generic set of links. They're getting these types of links because at that time, that is what Google is indexing and valuing. And as all the data, I think we have to ask these questions these days with so much going on here, the data is anonymized? Yes, absolutely. So we don't, the, the, the tool doesn't warehouse any of the data. It makes API calls to the ad platforms. The data stays in the ad platform, but we, we I suppose, crunch it in a different yeah, way. Yeah, very good. So from your experience, what are the biggest misconceptions or mistakes that businesses make when it comes to SEO, other than the obvious one that they don't? Don't attack it. Yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. So we'll leave. We'll, we'll leave not doing it out, as you said, because <laughs> that's mistake number that's the one. Easy answer. Yeah, I would say being too aggressive with expectations for SEO to uh, deliver a really short term result. What that might do is all this long term nature of being, you know, like building good good domain authority and building good content. Like 
that that's realistically it, it, it's hard to do that in three months. It's in some cases it's even hard to do that in six months. And I think sometimes setting up whether it's an agency or an internal team, you've got to be really, I suppose, you've got to, you've got to give the, that enough time to mature. And I think it can be very counterproductive to chase those short-term KPIs because if all of a sudden that backlinking strategy becomes a little too aggressive, you can get a penalty. And that can really, really cost you. There are major brands in this country that have been penalized yep. and it hurts. Those penalties are bloody hard to get rid of as well. Google is not in any way transparent about which link is toxic, which one mm-hmm. can be removed. Any marketer with half a brain would remove that link straight away. But why don't they give more visibility to that? Look, I mean, I can't say that link disavows and that's a John question. However, I think Google's merciless with from a perspective of it does not want you to game its systems. It real it doesn't want you to get ahead because you found a ninja link building strategy. What Google's answer main aim is simple. It wants to like the best answer to the user's question. And if you're trying to manipulate that in a way that is untoward, you probably deserve that penalty, you know? So I think Yes, it does give brands that chance for redemption. And, you know, it takes a, a very, like, you know, having rescued a number of said brands from penalties, it, it is, it's difficult. It's, it can be quite touch and go. Yeah, because, you know, they, they're brand fucked up in the first place. I'd say uh, the bottom line on that one is if you avoid a penalty at all costs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. just don't do it. Don't, you know? Just don't do it. That's right. Um, having dealt with Google in my SEM life, uh, I always felt like SEO was, was the Voldemort of Google. You know, <laughs> he who shall not be named, you know. Oh, my and you God. You couldn't bring it up. It was always alluded to. Yes. Yeah. And, 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 you know, and Google's often public, I suppose, addressing of SEO and how to approach SEO is not the most clear, right? Even if we, we move penalties to the side, you know, they'll generally just say kind of what I've said is that we just want good content and good user experience. But, you know, as we all know, there's more to it. Um, if I was looking to start a new e-commerce business, which I'm not, but if I was looking to start a new e-commerce business, what would be some SEO advice, a few sentences that you would you would give me to point me in the right direction? Wow, okay. Well, first is do your research. And, and, and whether it's a new e-commerce business or an e-commerce business understanding whether to expand into a different category, hypothetically, or, you know, invest in an educational resource higher up the funnel, like as, as, as per our discussions with Bunnings. Do your research. So understand what is what is your total addressable market? How many searches are, um, you know, are occurring in that space? What's the cost of SEM for those searches? You know, generally speaking, advertisers pay for, for clicks that convert. So you can sort of see if the average cost of a keyword is high, ooh, there might be some something there. There might be some commercial intent. So I, I think research is probably the be all and end all um, before you get into anything, whether it's a new e-com brand or expanding an, um, another e-com brand. And then I'd say from there, it's understand what is involved in, in, in that sort of medium to long term. You know, it's, yes, it might be very attractive to, to, to want to own that space in three to five or, you know, maybe you know, 
two to five years, but it is going to take investment, right? It's speak to people, speak to experts, you know, that know what they're talking about and, you know, get help, right? Because it's very difficult for someone that might say, might say, okay, great, I want to own, whereas it's to say dog toys, you know, it looks like a really greenfields market, but assessing the, comp- the the competition level and the feasibility of ranking for certain, you know, certain keywords in that niche. And, you know, and there will be thousands of keywords you could rank for, which would influence the way you might organize your categories and subcategories on your site, or even the type of products you stock. It's having an understanding of, of what's feasible and then speaking to an expert is, is something I'd also suggest. Nick, that's great. Thank you so much for coming in. I'm sure that our listeners have learned a lot about SEO. I think the bottom line here is to get started and start really thinking about it. Take it seriously. Thanks for having me. No problem. All right, that's all we have time for today. Chloe, that was good, wasn't it? Yeah, it was good. I've got a question for you, John. Why did the SEO cross the road? Why did the SEO cross the road, Chloe? Because it wanted to get hit with traffic. (laughs) Oh, give us a spell. (laughs) Anyway, thank you to our listeners for joining us on our SE October edition of the Recommended Retail Podcast brought to you by Dropship Zone, Australia's leading B2B marketplace. As always, if you're interested in learning more, head on over to dropshipzone.com.au or visit us on our Instagram handle, dropshipzoneau. See you next month and happy selling. <laughs>